human. More human. More human. Live from the University of San Diego. So in the 21st century, we don't really talk about death much. It's like an elephant in the room, but instead the room is society and the elephant is the fact that eventually we're all going to die. No matter how much we ignore this natural progression of human life, it surrounds us constantly. It is the one aspect of life that is completely unknown to us. And this lack of certainty is what makes people uncomfortable. And that discomfort leads to different methods of coping. It is not a common occurrence for a person to witness other people's passing. That's more of an attribute to certain occupations. Lucky them. There is this clash between those that are living and the idea of death. And while we can theorize about our reactions and internalizations of this, one does not know until they actually witness it. In high school, I was a shadow in the emergency room. I had a badge that read Observing Physician, which was a very misleading title, and baby blue scrubs that made me look like a box. I wore space pattern Converse, and I had this naive look about me that just screamed, I'm in way over my head right now. And I was right. On many occasions throughout my time in the ER, the doctor I worked with would look at me and say, shape up, kid. You look like a deer in the headlights. Well, sir, considering that my medical knowledge thus far is solely derived from Grey's Anatomy and Scrubs, are we so surprised? Throughout my time there, I saw some really gruesome things, as one can imagine. I also saw some really weird and mildly comical things, but that's for a different talk about humans putting things places they shouldn't be. I had this idea of the ER that it would be like it was in the TV shows, highly dramatic and constantly moving. And while there were certain moments that were filled with chaos, there were also moments where everything was just stagnant. These were normally the moments directly after someone's passing. One of the first people I witnessed die was a woman in her 60s who had overdosed on heroin. I was filing paperwork around 2 p.m. when the PA system loudly proclaimed, Triage and trauma bay two. Triage and trauma bay two. Heat rushed through my body and I could feel sweat pooling on my upper lip and my forehead as I rushed to the trauma bay. The paramedics swiftly pushed the stretcher into the ward while spewing the patient's medical history, but all I could hear was her labored breathing. She was frail. Her skin hung loosely on her face and hands, revealing her skeletal figures from the years of opioid use. I stood frozen in the corner of the room and watched the doctor cut a clean sliver in her neck with the intravenous port. The patient's dull blue eyes remained open for the entire procedure. Her pupils dilated like black holes staring at the ceiling. And her body was cold with this sickly blue tint. She was unresponsive to the poking and prodding of the many nurses. I was surrounded by complete commotion, but remained fixated on her decreasing breath. Entranced by the rattling, I could hear forming in the back of her throat. I could hear the heart rate monitor increasing in frequency and volume like an oncoming train, and I watched her body seize and her torso stiffen, then relax. The heart rate monitor manifested the dreaded flat line. The rattling in her throat diminished. Her time of death was called, and the majority of the medical personnel in the room returned to their previous tasks, but I was transfixed on her pale, lifeless face. I anticipated seeing someone die in the ER, and I knew it was bound to happen. I just thought that after it did, that I would get in my car at the end of the day, dramatically pull off my ID card, hit the innocent steering wheel a couple times, and manically drive home through my blurry tears with the fray playing in the background like in Grey's Anatomy. 
But alas, life is not a medical drama. At the end of that anticipated day, I got in my car, put on my seatbelt, shuffled my John Mayer playlist, and calmly drove home. I took a shower, had dinner with my family, watched some TV, and went to bed. As if nothing had happened. While I laid there that night, I heard the linear tone of a flat line on a heart rate monitor. But that was all. Months down the road is when everything caught up to me. I was sitting in the kitchen with my mom crying, as one does at 11 p.m. on a school night. And that's when all the grief hit. But not only grief, but guilt. Why hadn't I reacted sooner? What was so maniacal about me that I did not feel sad in the moment, but only stunned? Death was not what I expected it to be, but more importantly, neither was my reaction. There was this clash within me between my moral mind and the reality of my reaction to death. Did I lack empathy? I questioned myself for so long afterwards, trying to find an answer to my initial apathy. But that was it. In that moment, when I was questioning myself, that was when I came to grips with life and how fleeting it is. That was empathetic and completely human of me. I had this expectation of myself to take on all of these emotions from death immediately, and I expected perfection. But what I got was authenticity. I was young, and I still am, but I have processed through this tension and clash between my preconceived notions of reality and the mortality of human life. As cliche as it sounds, I have come to learn that life is limited and precious. This isn't meant to scare anyone, but remind you to love truthfully and completely, because without compassion, without love, without empathy, without patience, our lives are just the linear tone of a flat line on a heart rate monitor. Thank you. Thank you.